You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. Have you ever seen a movie that you really, really loved it and quietly wondered and slash judged a lot of other people for not liking it as much as you did. <laughs> this could be a movie that maybe uh, didn't necessarily make it onto like, you know, the larger population, but for whatever reason, it struck a chord with you and you loved it. For me, uh, this is the rom-com, A Lot Like Love, starring Ashton Kutcher and Amanda Peet. Uh, it is possible uh, to be a Marvel fan and also... Just love some mushy-gushy romantic comedies, baby. And this is one of my favorites. This is one of my favorites. How many of you have ever seen this movie? Anybody? Anybody? One? Great. Okay, awesome. So I'm going to ruin it for you, but the uh, movie's been around for 15 years, so get with it. Um, The story follows uh, the journey of this couple, this couple. And they meet at all of these really interesting parts in their journey. And for whatever reason, like, romance is, like, starting to brew, and then it kind of flickers out. It's just always the wrong timing, always the wrong timing. And one of the things that also sort of, like, nixed it from the get-go was Amanda Peet's character has the, we learned this in the opening scene, she has the stipulation that any guy she's going to be with, any relationship she has, she has to be with someone who initiated the relationship. She has to be with someone who did the initial, the original pursuing. And in the opening scenes... um, well, there's an inappropriate non-church scene uh, where they go somewhere. So anyway, um, and she started it. She started it. So all along, like the whole, throughout the whole movie, she's like, the ship has sailed. Like, I can't be with him because obviously it didn't start in the right way. Well, again, I'm going to ruin it for you. Uh, eventually, they end up together. <laughs> so sweet. And what did it for her, the moment where her entire sort of disposition changes to Ashton Kutcher's character is she learns towards the end of the movie, she actually stumbles upon some photographs, some pictures that he took of her before they ever met. Now, that sounds creepy out loud, (laughs) but in the movie, it's super cute. And the picture of him on here is also not helping. He looks like a super big creeper. Um, But she learns in this moment, she learns in this moment, this entire journey she's been on with this dude, she's actually never been the one pursuing him. He, all along, was pursuing her. And I just, like, love moments like that. Don't you? Not only moments in movies, but moments in life where you realize that someone you really, really cared about, it turns out, cared about you before, maybe even more than you did. I think about this a lot uh, when it comes to faith, quite frankly, because as a pastor, one of the things that I've noticed, I think, in our conversations about faith and people's attitude towards faith is that it can be tempting sometimes. There's a tendency in faith to believe we are the initiators when it comes to our relationship with God. Anybody ever felt like that before? Felt like sometimes the reason, the, the, the whole reason why you go to church, the reason why you do devotionals, you read scripture, you pray, is because you're trying to sort of get God's attention. That it's those things that sort of summon God to come and be with you. And the longer I've followed Jesus, 
the more I've realized how that's just not true. That is just fundamentally not true. And quite frankly, uh, what I've found to be true of my own life is that most of the time when I perform spiritual disciplines or spiritual exercises, most of the time they're not for God, they're for me. They're for me. Most of the time my life prior to prayer looks like the image on the left, and I do it because some way, somehow, these spiritual exercises, coming into worship week in and week out, uh, participating in some sort of daily morning prayer exercise, what it does is it sort of regathers my scattered senses, and it helps me tune into where God has been present all along. It reminds me that God never left my side. It reminded me that, quite frankly, everything that I do is always never initiating. It's always in response to an original action in my direction by God himself. And when we go back to our scripture passage for today, uh, the audience of Romans chapter 5 knew a little something about that. Knew a little something about that. So if you have your Bibles or if you're, again, if you're watching this online and you want to follow along, we're going to be camped out in Romans chapter 5. If you are new to studying scripture, if this is sort of like you're still trying to get like, the lay of the land of the situation, here's what's going down. So uh, this is a letter written to an early church in Rome. And one of the things that uh, was going on uh, during this time, definitely during Jesus' time, is that they suffered from this same mindset. The same mindset that in order to make sure I'm right with God, to make sure I'm connected with God, to make sure God is near to me, I have to initiate. Like, I got to do the stuff to make God come closer to me. And the reason for that is because for centuries... They were taught that how you connected with God, how you were right with God was through the law. It was through commands. This is why if you go and read the Old Testament on your own, it says, do this so you stay clean, not unclean. By doing this, you will be holy, not unholy. You see this? So pre-incarnation, so before Jesus shows up, the worldview is my goodness is the prerequisite for God's presence. If I am good that will sort of activate a divine connection, okay? And then Jesus shows up and blows it to smithereens, right? And Paul picks up on this. That's exactly what Paul's writing about in Romans chapter 5. He's sort of capturing, he picks up on this monumental observation when he writes these words. He says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were a long ways off, while we didn't care how we lived or if we were going to be close to God or even had paid any attention in God's direction, it was at that moment that God came running after us. Paul here in Romans chapter 5, what he's saying is, he's saying, dude, we've had it backwards this whole time. We've had it backwards this whole time. God has always been the initiator. God has always been the one running after us. At creation, at the covenant, at Exodus, and then most explicitly in and through the person of Jesus, who is the sort of embodied sort of message that God doesn't wait for you and I to get our stuff together to step into our lives. God steps into our dirty, broken disaster of an existence and says, I want you. And so let's put it on the ground. 
let's put it on the ground. What does that mean uh, for you? What does that mean for me? Um, I'm not a Calvinist, but what that does mean is that you are only partly responsible for being here today. You're only partly responsible for showing up to this place to hear more about this Jesus today. In fact, I'm a, a graphic person, so this is the way in which I look at my life. I feel like uh, any time and every time I do what God wants me to do, the most I could ever claim is 25%. That is the most amount of responsibility I feel like for doing and being the person God wants me to be. Why? Because, friends, this central theme of this whole story is that before you ever went searching for God, God went searching for you. Before you ever thought this whole faith Christian thing was a good idea, Jesus was actively finding ways to pursue after you and get your attention and to win you over and invite you into the very life that you always hoped and dreamed and prayed was out there. Now, we here uh, in our Methodist tradition, uh, we get a term for this. We love terms. We come up with phrases for everything. We love acronyms, too. So um, we got all kinds of phrases and terms for these sorts of things. And uh, our phrase for this is we believe in what is called prevenient grace. Prevenient grace. It is the radical belief that long before you and I ever had the ability to reciprocate love and affection in God's direction, it was God who was starting this thing. God was the one preparing the way. That's what prevenient way is, like preparing grace, preparing the way for a relationship and a connection with you. And friends, to be clear, we didn't make this up. We didn't make this up. If you read closely, you will see it. It's all over Scripture. For example, Job chapter 33, verses 14 through 15. For God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. God's speaking to us all the time. But it takes a minute, often, for us to sort of get tuned in and hear and like be aware of what's actually happening. John chapter 6, verse 44 says this, For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. Now, this verse actually gets a bad rap a lot of the time because sometimes we read it as sort of like this exclusive, like, Jesus only chooses some people and doesn't choose other people or what have you. And that's actually not, exact, not at all what Jesus is saying. I, what I love so much about this is this is just naming the fact that... Uh, and this is true of my own life, that so often my life is such a hot mess that it's only God's initiating presence that enables me to sort of move back in God's direction. And that's also because what we see in Matthew chapter 6. For your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Long before. Think of your own story today. Think of your own journey today. Long before you ever felt like, oh, I really need some guidance. I really need some direction. I really need some forgiveness. I really need something good. God was already staging a beautiful, articulate, complex strategy to bring it to you. And friends, this is not only all over Scripture. It's all over your daggum life. Me? Yeah, everybody, every single one of you. Evidence of God's preparing, his initiation, his pursuit after you. Evidence of that is all over your life. You can find it like fingerprints all over your life. Fingerprints like a toddler who just got back from Krispy Kreme donuts. 
just leaving fingerprints all over that joint. Like, that's the way it is with our kids. I feel like every time we come back from a, a donut joint, there's just, like, smears everywhere. You want to know, uh, so young parents, you know what the scariest thing is? Is when you uh, hold your kid's hand, and you're like, oh, it's, this happened last week. I was holding Everett's hand, and I was like, oh, it's sticky. I go, what is that? He goes, I don't know. <laughs> Could it be deadly poison? Could it be jelly? We don't know. It's the mystery. But if you look at your story, if you actually take the time, take the time, and you comb back and you look at your story, you'll find massive evidence that there was someone pursuing after you, not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, not because you were looking for it, but because that is just who God is. God loved you as his child too much to not do that. Now, as I'm saying that, some of you, you're listening to this, and you, like, your mind is running a mile a minute. You're like, oh, I can think of all these examples. I can think of all these stories. I can think of all these sort of instances in my life. And some of you are like, yeah, I don't really know. Like, I, don't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. And typically what I do is when folks come to me and they're sort of like processing that part of their journey, what I do is I typically coach them to look in one of three areas. One of three areas. That if you're looking for evidence that God has been running after you in your life, look in one of these three areas. Number one, look at the places you've been or the places you've lived. Number two, take a look at the people that God has sent into your life, friends, family members, mentors, pastors, coaches, whoever, and then passions. What are the things that bring you life? Things that you are destined to do and to be in the world. Take a look in these three areas and you'll find evidence everywhere. When I look at my own story, there's evidence all over the place. For those of you who don't know, so my story starts, I actually, I didn't come to faith until I was about 16. And one of the pivotal things that happened that led me to conversion, that led me to want to be with Jesus, was this pivotal move from Georgia to where we eventually would go on to live. Now, we were living in Georgia for a long time. as was was in the military, and so we were told for months, you guys are going to go to Germany, we're going to station you in Germany, that's where you're going to be. So we're anticipating that, that's what it's going to look like, that's what the next four years of our lives are going to look like. And then classic military fashion. Two weeks before we move, they go, scratch that, you're going to Colorado Springs. That's a big difference. And sometimes I just think, sometimes I sit and think, I go, man, I wonder what my life would have looked like. I wonder how it would have played out differently had that not happened. I don't know. But I do know when I moved to Colorado Springs, so that's place, let's talk about people. I met two people who would go on to have a profound impact upon my life. This is David and Joe, and that person right there in the middle is uh, Ryan Reynolds. Um, just kidding, that's me. Um, but on the left hand, so this is David uh, Trainer. So David's been uh, one of my best friends ever since I met him, sophomore year of high school, and Joe uh, was our soccer coach. And when I think about meeting them, like there's, we sh I should not have met them. I had no reason to meet them. David actually grew up in a missionary family, so he grew up in Africa and lived all over the place. They were stationed in all these sort of spots. They were in Cab Gabon for a really, really long time. But right before sophomore year, same year I moved, uh, David's dad, Ralph, said, I, I feel like God's stirring me. I, need to, I think we need to go back home uh, and go back to headquarters uh, and you know, rest for a little bit. Guess where headquarters was? Colorado Springs. Yeah. Joe, similar thing, grew up in a broken home was uh, suffered abuse, suffered um, 
just a lot of things that there's no reason someone raised in that home would have eventually became as devout of a Christian as he became. But one of the pivotal moments for him was through soccer. He started coaching soccer. He started having these experiences uh, with God sort of reaching him through this passion of his. So that's people. And then passion. So again, what do all three of us share in common? A deep, deep passion for diamond studded earrings, apparently. Um, I can't find a single high school picture where I'm not wearing those. And so, sweet Lord. Okay. Um, But soccer. Soccer. So Joe became our coach. I met David on the team. And again, like, we, there's no reason why we should have ever met. David had a bull cut. He was homeschooled, and he liked to sing VeggieTales songs. And so, like, there's just, like, no, there was no, uh, if, if soccer didn't exist, there was no path where we were connecting ever, ever. But it was here. Why I love this picture so much is because it was here on our very first soccer trip ever that I felt God's presence for the very first time ever in my life. God had been strategically moving for years, putting these pieces together, putting all the conditions in place for me to finally be in a place where I could hear and experience and feel God near to me for the very first time. Which is all to say, I didn't initiate nothing. I wasn't looking for this. I wouldn't run after this. It came to me. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking you're like, you know, and maybe that's your story, and so maybe you can really deeply relate with that story. You can connect to that story. You've got your own sort of like, you know, people, places, and passions where it's like linked up into this beautiful harmony that brought you closer to Jesus. But others of you, whenever you hear stories like that, you get super discouraged because you're just like, yeah, like that's beautiful, that's cool, that's cute. But like I don't, I grew up in church. Like I grew up in faith. And so like, I don't have this, like, divine rom-com story of my existence where Jesus was just sort of, like, parading and, like, doing all these wonderful things and rose petals to bring me into relationship with him. I don't have that. So what does that mean for me? Like, what does it mean for the people like us? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God wasn't actively preparing and pursuing after you. It just means you got to dig a little deeper to find it. You just got to go back a little bit further to find it. I was talking to our associate pastor, Amanda Rigby, uh, earlier this week, and for those of you who don't know her story, this is her story. She was raised in faith, raised in church, like born into a pew, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, But she's never known, she's never known anything different. She's never known a life apart from faith or apart from God. But when she shares her story, she always shares that one of these really pivotal moments happened two generations earlier in the life of her grandparents. You see, her grandparents were living in uh, Texas for a really long time, and they were, some of you know this experience, they belonged to a church for a really, really long time, and for whatever reason, they had the experience of, like, they felt like things were getting stale, things were getting stagnant, they felt like they were just at this church and going through the motions, and the church was just sort of existing and not running after, like, a future that got, so, like, they were just struggling, trying to figure out, what do we do now, what do we do now? And at that precise moment, they were invited to start a brand new church on the outskirts of town that was meeting in a barn. Because you know what the Bible says. There's nothing that brings you closer to the Holy Spirit than the fresh smell of manure. I would not find Jesus in that place. So thank you, God, for not, yes. So 
she, they go there, and something happens to them. If you ask Amanda about it, they'll tell you. Something happens to them. Her grandparents, their faith was revived. They found newfound faith and passion and excitement about this cause, this mission that Jesus had started, and they said, okay, this is where we're going to be. I don't care if this thing fails. We're going to go, and we're going to step out in faith. We're going to step out in risk because we believe that there's something divine, something holy here. And because of their act of faith, not only is their own faith saved, but as a result of that, their children also see an act of faith, something they want to give their lives to. And so without that move to, to take all the risk and step away from the church they've known for their, for their entire existence and step out in faith to this new community, if they don't do that, is this picture taken? This is Amanda's baptism day. Being held by her, that's on the right, uh, being held by her mom, Wendy, who became a devout, active, committed leader in this church. Without the grandparents sort of feeling that nudge and feeling spurred on to do that, is this picture taken? Or is this picture taken? Where now Amanda, two generations later, not only experiences a deep and profound faith and wants to give her life to it, but also begins to then serve in full-time ministry and is now baptizing new generations into the same faith. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much church has been a part of your story or faith's been a part of your story. If you look deep enough, you'll find rich, rich evidence that God's been running after you way longer than you had the ability to recognize. And I'll close here. Hear me. I need you to hear me. Why this is so, so, so important is because sometimes in faith, in church, there's a tendency and a temptation to overly obsess on our part of the relationship with God, right? We spend a lot of time in spaces like this talking about how, well, you really do need to pray more, and you really do need to come to church more, and you really need to do this. So, like, there's this obsession sometimes in Christian faith on our role and the, just how little we're doing and how we need to do more and pray more and be more present and be more out in the community doing good things. And I'm not saying that's not important because that's part of the conversation. That's just not the part of the conversation I want to emphasize today. Because you see, sometimes we can actually over-obsess on all the things we have to do for God. And in the process, we're just not tuned in at all to what God's up to. We actually haven't taken the time to take stock of the lengths God has gone to run after and find you. One of the biggest fallacies is thinking that life is about our pursuit of God, when friends, quite frankly, it is the exact opposite. It's never been uh, stated more clearly for me uh, than in one of my favorite books. So one of my favorite books uh, is called Christianity Rediscovered. Christianity Rediscovered. It's written by, um, he is uh, since deceased, but he was a Roman Catholic missionary named Vincent Donovan. 
And I love this book so much. Uh, and the reason for which is because this is a story. It's a memoir uh, where he's talking about his very first missionary trip to Africa. And he's brutally honest. He's brutally honest. He's like in the first couple chapters, he's talking about how like my mindset was, I got Jesus, they don't, and so, like, I'm going to travel across and, like, bring it to them, and then, hallelujah, like, we're going to bring them into heaven. And so he's got this whole mind, like, mindset of, like, I'm the one who's got Jesus, and i got to make sure I bring it over. Otherwise, the Maasai tribe, the tribe that he eventually goes over to minister to and to evangelize to, will not have any chance. And then he shows up. And slowly but surely, he starts paying attention to their habits and their customs and the rituals and the way in which they treat each other. And he realizes real quick, although they may not be using Christian verbiage, Jesus has been alive and working in that community for a long time. So much so that one of the eldermen uh, approaches him, pulls him aside for a quick minute, and goes, let's have a little chat. You know, Father, Father Vincent, come over here. And he says this. You told us of the high God and how we must search for him. Even we must leave our land and our people to find him. But we have not done this. We have not left our land. We have not searched for him. He searched for us. He searched us out and found us all the time in life. We think we are the lion. But in the end, the only lion is God. If we never take stock of the lengths and the depths and all of the things that God has done to reach after us and to pursue after us and to grab our attention. If we never do that, if we never do that, you may still actually end up becoming a person of faith. You may still end up, you know, choosing the Christian faith and choosing to do all the right stuff and do the right religious stuff and to do the right acts towards neighbors out in the community and all that sort of stuff without taking stock of all that God has done to run after you and initiate and sort of activate this relationship you may still become a person of faith but here's what I found to be true oftentimes when you don't start from that place you may become a person of faith but you're becoming a person of faith and you're doing all those right things for all the wrong reasons often what I have found is that when it's not God's love that compels you to faith. Oftentimes, you find a faith driven by fear, not love. You find a faith that is motivated by shame and guilt, not joy. You'll find someone who, they're not here, they're not participating in this whole thing with Jesus because they want to, but because they feel like they should do it. And friends, I'm going to say something that's a little bit hard to hear. But a faith built on shoulds, it can't save you. It won't save you. It'll change your behavior for a day or two. 
like you'll come to church and you'll hear a sermon about, you know, you shouldn't gossip. And you're like, okay, cool. I'm like, I'm not going to gossip. And then like five minutes later, you're like, <laughs> I got some stuff to share. Um, I got the tea. But eventually it'll burn out. Eventually it'll flicker out. And it's because, friends, we weren't hardwired to run off of fear and shame and guilt. It'll run you for a little bit. And it dies. As a pastor, I can tell you of countless conversations I have with people right over there in that office. And when their fear, or when their faith starts in this place, when it starts out of a place of fear and guilt, like, well, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> I don't want to let God down. And so, like, I'm here. Like, I'm doing all the things. Like, eventually, eventually, almost 100% of the time, a couple years later, their faith looks like this. They're done. They're burnt out. They're resentful. They don't want to do it anymore. It's only the people who are here because they've just yet to meet a person who loves them as much as Jesus does. Those are the only people I know who go the distance. And so if you're sitting here thinking, man, like, for some of you, you're like, this is just a good reminder. Like, I know God loves me, and I, know, I have all these stories that I, I just need to spend more time. I need to dwell on them. I need to make that like a spiritual discipline to sort of like bring them back into my memory more often, to really like sit with them. But some of you, you're sitting there, and you're like, man, I, don't, I hear what these people are talking about, but like, I ain't, I don't know. Like, I don't have a bunch of those stories. I don't feel like in love with God. And if that's you, uh, number one, just be honest about that. Ain't no shame in that. We've all started in that place, right? And number two, maybe it's just time to make room for the strong possibility that maybe, just maybe, that's because your story is about to start. Maybe it's because there's a lot of strategies that God has that are about to come to fruition. And so maybe for you, it's not necessarily, does God, is God running after me? But what am I going to do when he shows up? And will I receive it? Friends, I think that so much of the faith life, the spiritual life that we're a part of, is it's learning that the good news is as good as the Bible says it is. That this love truly is as good as everybody says it is. And it's only until you're willing to believe or receive that yourself does any of this start meaning anything to you. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.